Welcome back to Parag Vav. Our learning this week is sponsored by Yonish Masuk Rabbas Yaakov Alevi, Adira Kavsky, a former student who was struck by a car and tragically passed. Chaim Lazer Ben Shmuel, the 10th yard site of Janie Cooperberg's dad, Rufu Shleim of Batila Batya Bechayatova, Brach Gael Batrach Ukita, Yudidia Chaim Ben Avir of Kachaya, Moshe Melach Alevi Ben Basha, and Shadochim for all those that are in need. I feel like before we start this week's parak, we have a couple loose ends, some final thoughts on Paragimel Dalit and Hay. Paragimel Dalit and Hay are the process with which the Jewish people become a nation. And we spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time making the connections to Pesach, so many of them. And uh, an interesting question that comes up perhaps is also why is Pesach specifically in the springtime? We're not going to answer that question per se, but why do the Jews enter the land of Israel in the springtime? Both excellent questions. And it happens to be this past Shabbos, I was sitting in shul, and first, the jirasha delivered in shul was a thought by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs on that very question, the idea of Pesach and what Pesach, Parshish Bo, what it's supposed to teach us. And then if that wasn't good enough, and I was sitting there saying, oh, that is like such amazing material that we have to include as the summary and the conclusion to Paragimel Dalit and Hay. Uh, Rabbi Menachem Penner, the, uh, the dean of Reitz, was also in shul, and he spoke after shul, gave a shear on the topic of Kiddush Levana. Fascinating topic. Didn't think that it would be fascinating, but uh, wasn't disappointed. And it answers that very question. Why so many connections to Pesach? Rabbi Sachs says that one of the interesting things is that in the middle of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, could you imagine the Jewish people, they're getting ready. They're packing their homes. They have the Korban Pesach Shechted. They put the blood in the doorpost and they're sitting. But God says, listen, I need you to know, when your child is going to ask you later, this is in the future. Why tell us this now? Save it. Save it for Parshas Mishpatim. Save it for somewhere in Vayikra, Bamidbar Dvarim. Why now? Why is it in the midst of this whole thing? God says, just want to let you know, your child is going to ask you one day, what in the world is going on? What is this whole story about? What's my place in this whole story? Sachs answers such an amazing answer. He says, what the Jewish people need to know, what the kids need to know, what every single person for the end of history it's part of the Jewish people needs to know is what is my role in the story? What's my place? How do I fit? Who am I? So your child, the child is asking is not only what is this, what is this to me? Where do I fit into this whole process? God. What is my role in the history of the Jewish people? It is the same language that we find several times in Sefer Yoshua. They're going to ask. It's going to be that generations later, people will come to Mavro to Yardin, they're going to see the stones and they're going to say, Mazah, what is this? What are they asking? They're asking, how does this pertain to me? The greatest gift we can give to our children is explaining to them in a meaningful way how they are part of the shalshalet, how they're part of the chain that goes all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu. 
Klal Yisrael are entering the land of Israel. And as they're doing that, Jewish destiny is coming to a whole new level. And the question that the Jewish people have to ask, not just those coming in, but what about in 500 years from now? What about in 1,000 years from now? What about the Jews that come back after Chorban Bayit Yishon? And what about Bismanenu, the Jews that live here? That's my place. How does this have, what does this have to do with me? If we believe that Eretz Yisrael is something that belongs to us because of something that just happened right now, our deep connection to the land of Israel is severed. But what is it? The message of Tanakh, and that's why this whole series is called Walking with the Prophets. Why? Because we're walking today with the prophets from thousands of years ago. We have a place in this story, and that's we're part of this long chain, and it continues. And perhaps that's the reason why Pesach and why the enter- entrance into the land of Israel work out that they're connected to each other. It's not just a fluke that 40 years later to the day they cross over. No. God is saying that I want you to know that Pesach is the message of redemption. It's the message that you are the Jewish people. You're my people. You're my nation. And when you enter into Eretz Yisrael, you're taking that to a whole new level. So why enter in the springtime? So obviously the easy answer would be because you just said, Rabbi Sachs said, it has to come at the time of Pesach, which is the time of the Jewish people's birth as a nation. Therefore, it would have to be one and the same. But there is something unbelievable at the springtime. Rabbi Penner said, imagine if you walked into Shul, and as you were walking into Shul, you took a look every morning at the trees that were outside of the Shul. And you took note that the tree does not always look the same. In the winter, you live in the States, it's barren. And then the spring comes, it starts budding. The summer comes, it's in full bloom. Here in Israel, it's a little bit different. By the summertime, it's already burnt out. But you, you walk outside and you see the buds beginning. And then they grow a little bit more. And a little bit more. Last year, I remember around Pesach time, watching some of the fruits on the tree beginning to develop. You saw them as a bud. Shortly thereafter, you saw them as a flower. And all of a sudden, the flower became a full fruit. Why? Because that's the unbelievable nature of nature. Why enter in springtime? Because in springtime, you'll see those differences. What happens when you see that? Penner points out that a person that sees the budding of the tree and watches nature do it, run its course and do its thing, they will understand that they are in the presence of the Ribbona Shalom. If the Jewish people are entering in the springtime, it's a gift to them that they'll have the opportunity to see in nature God's manifestation. And by doing that, they'll have a chance to remember and remind themselves that God is ever-present and that the sto- they're part of the story of the Jewish people, but God is the director of that story. And with that, we conclude Perak, Gimel Dalin, hey, move on to Vav. This, to me, is a slide that really explains a lot. 
Let's take a look at Pasuk Aleph. Yericho is locked from the Jewish people. No one is coming in. No one is coming out. What does that mean? So Garrett or Misu Garrett? Why in double Ashel? Just right. So Garrett, it's locked. The gates are locked. There is no one coming in. So Garrett or Misu Garrett, what's going on? So the Mitsudas David says something beautiful. He says, Understand that Yericho is always a locked city. It had a gate. It had a bolt. They locked that gate. It was not easy to come in. Yata. But now, so Garrett, normal. Misu Garrett, they were on heightened alert, extra guards, any possible breach of the city was taken into account to keep safe. The Radak offers a different answer. So Garrett on a Shabbatoch, shall I say, Adam and I hear, Locked from the inside, locked from the outside. No one on the outside could come in. No one on the inside could come out. The Das Mikra is a beautiful answer. He says it's so Garrett is locked by Yericho. Misu Garrett is it's closed by the Jews. The fact that the presence of the Jews, millions of them, in Gilgal, not far from here, meant that no one was going to be able to come and do anything to get in or out. The Jews effectively sieged the city without even being there. No one out. The Das Mikra gives a beautiful answer. No one was even coming to help. The rest of the nation saw the Jewish people in Gilgal, and they said, Yericho, you are on your own. Now the Madrash says something beautiful. Yericho was the key, the lock that locked Eretz Yisrael. If you wanted to enter, all you had to do was get through Yericho. Once you got through Yericho, the rest of the land was yours for the taking. Could be that actually the reason why no one came was they said, Yericho, you are there to protect us. So do your job. You got to win. Now here's the amazing thing. A siege city like Yericho, and Yericho had water sources inside, food sources inside. Yericho, if it had been sieged, then a conventional siege, just as Yerushalayim held out for a long time, Yericho would have been able to hold out for a long time as well. So the Jews are going to have to do something a little bit different. Now, I'd just like to point out, if you take a look at the top of the screen, you'll see an archer, and the archer is shooting arrows, you could imagine that the people of Yericho were not going to go down without fighting. So they have their, their army. No idea how big their army is. Honestly, have no idea how many people lived in the city. But you have to imagine that the walls were full of their snipers, their archers. But by Alex Israel points out that in ancient times, a, uh, a, an arrow had the ability to fly six to 700 yards. That would be about 2,000 feet or so. It means that the picture in my head always was that the Jews were going to dance around, they were going to circle around Yericho, 
hugging the walls. Wouldn't make any sense. If they were that close to the walls, they'd be attacked by a hail of arrows. So they're 2,000 feet away. And they're going to do their, their daily routine. That is the plan. Yericho is on high alert. Let's see what happens. Hashem says to Yoshua. Radak points out it's not Hashem speaking to Yoshua, but rather it is the Malach. The Malach that we had met that told him to take off his shoes. He said to him the following. I'm putting in your hands Yericho and its, and its king. They're fierce. Strong troops. Now, the important thing to as we read these next few psukim is to try to establish in our minds a few things. First off, who is the part of the battle? Number one. And second of all, what is the plan? Once you know who the troops are, what is it going to look like? So Pastor Gimel says that all the people, all the warriors, will surround the city. For six days, the Jewish people are going to do what? They're going to walk around the city. All the entire army. And seven Kohanim will carry seven Shofrot Hayovilim. Rashi points out of the Nayal. Ram's horn, they're going to carry seven ram's horns, seven koanim, seven ram's horns, with Neharo, before the Aro. So now we know that there is an army. We know that there are seven koanim with Shofrot, and there's the Aro Brit Hashem. On the seventh day, on the seventh day, you're going to circle the city seven times. And the Kohanim are going to blow their shofar. Okay. That's what we got going on here. Bayamim shoch bekaren yovel, shamachem akola shofar, yariyo kolam shuagdola. And then when you do that, when you sound the shofar, what's going to happen? Yariyo kolam shuagdola. All the nation, all the troops will let out a scream, a shout. And the wall will fall down. But those that point out, will actually fall into the ground. And then the nation will go in and attack. And that's his message. That's what he's told. Okay, so the parties of war, we know. The troops. And we have the Argo. But now I want you in your head to try to see what, where, do these, where do these people go? Who is put where? Yoshua Benun calls the Kohanim and he says to them, you're going to carry the Aron. This is also unique. Usually the, the Aron is carried by the Levium. The Aron was carried by the Kohanim here and when they crossed the Jordan. So Yoshua calls the Kohanim and he says to them, you're going to carry the Aron Brit Hashem. The Shiva Kohanim Yisu, Shiva Shofrot, you'll live with the Aron Hashem. And in front of the Aron Hashem will be seven Kohanim with seven Shofrot. So what do we know so far? We now know that the Aron is going behind the Kohanim. So he says to the people, 
I want you to go and surround the city. And the Chalutz, the best troops, who are the Chalutz? The Mepharshim point out that the Chalutz are the Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruben, the best of the best. They're going to go in front of the Aaron. You have the Chalut, you have the Kohanim, you have the Aron Brit Hashem. And all the way in the back, what did you have? You had the the Maasef. Who is the Maasef? Rashi points out the Maasef. We know who the Maasef is. Maasef is from Chomish. That's Sheva Dan. Sheva Dan was in the back to bring up the rear and make sure that everyone was safe. And to the nation, Yoshua said, to the army, to the troops, Yoshua says, do not make any noise. Nothing at all should come out of your mouth until I say something to you. Then you'll cry out. So Barbanel asked, what's going on here? He says, it's Zambas Rizot. They they have to in case you get nervous and you want to you want to shout prematurely. Don't do it. Wait until my command. Why circle the city, and why this whole army as we see? So the um, the answer given by Rabbi Hatton, which is beautiful, is that it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting set of uh, people we have here. You know, the Bnei Gad Ruvain who perhaps you could argue have no real vested interest in the land of Israel, since they have chosen to live abroad. They're living on the other side of the ark. Koanim, they represent what they represent. The Aron represents what it represents. And you have the rest of the troops, which may, are made up of a mix of all of Kalalius. So why this mix? So it's supposed to represent the microcosm of the people. All the people, all parties, we're in it together, prepared to destroy Yerifo. Now, why circle the city? Why, why would we do that? Sir Behadden says, it's psychological. Could you imagine? It's, it's so quiet. They're a pin drop, but you could see them because they're 2,000 feet away from the city wall. Right? These, are, these pictures don't necessarily accurately portray the closeness to the city, but you just they're standing there. They're like, we can't do anything because our arrows won't go that far. But we see them and they walk around and then they go home. And what's going to be tomorrow? Come back. And they do the same thing. It is a psychologically damaging thing for the people. They're sitting in the, in the city saying, I don't know what the Jews are doing. I don't know how and when it's going to end. But I can't believe they're doing this. They're so close. And then they walk away. Perhaps, though, you could suggest another thing. What's interesting about a circle, I once heard this from a Hasidah uh, Why do we dance in circles at, at, at Smachos? So we dance in. Because the beauty of a circle is, as opposed to the, the train, when you have a circle, you don't know who the front is and you know who the back is. You have the Kohanim, you have the Aro, you have the best soldiers, you have the rest of the troops. And yet, fascinating thing is, who is the beginning and who is the end? And the, the Navi tells us, yeah, 
the very first were the best troops, and the very end was the mass safe. But once they were surrounding, they were all unified, no front and back. They are equally part of the war. Every single one of them will have their place in this battle. I saw a beautiful sefer yesterday by Yishai Chasida. It's Chasidut Benavi. It's a Chasidish pshat in the different parts of Navi. And this is what he says. Why blow the shofar? Okay, we now know we go in a circle because why? Everybody's on the same page. We're all equal. We're all in this together. Why blow a shofar? He says, Kala shofar come over Rosh Hashanah. It's like Rosh Hashanah. When we want to coronate God is the king of the world, we blow the shofar. Same thing here. At the beginning of the conquest of the land of Israel, they're about to go in. This is their first battle, their first attack. They want to be mamlich, God's kingship over them. Now, here's the question. What do the Jews actually know? Does Yoshua tell them what's going to happen on the seventh day? And Yoshua knows, because Hashem, or according to the Radak, the Malach, told them. Well, what do they really know? It seems like all they know is, take it one day at a time. Every day we'll see. Do they know it's going to be six days of walking, one hakaf? Do they know it's going to happen on the seventh day? They don't. They don't know it. And that's a fascinating thing. See, we, almost every one of us, probably knows that this story is going to end. There might be some details that we missed along the way, but we know, big adult, how the story is going to be. And yet, the amazing thing is that the Jews have no idea. All they know is go out, do our walk, go home. Pasuk what happens? They go around once, and then they go home. And then they get up early in the morning, and the Kohanim come, and they carry the Aron. Can we know this? This is what's going on. Yoshua tells them, go out each day and keep quiet. They go one time around. That's it. And then what happens? They go around the city on the second day. One time. And they go back to Gilgal. And they do this for six days. I'm really not sure. I did not find an answer as to why we have the words. Just tell us. They did this for all six days. Not sure why we need these words. Same as an answer. Please send it my way. And now it's the seventh day. They got up at Alota Shachar. Why Alota Shachar? Because they're going to walk around seven times. This is not a small city. And remember, by going 2,000 ammo past the city, you've now made the circle even bigger. That walk around a lot. I think that that's going to take quite a bit of time to do seven hakafo around that size city. They went around the city seven times. Only on this day did they do it seven times. It was on the seventh time. They blow the shofar. They blow the shofar. 
And the Abarbanel points out that the blowing of the shofar, it's not a, it's it's just not to scare the people. It's not the point is not to scare Yericho. And it's not a battle cry, but it's to express victory. Perhaps you could even suggest that it's a form of tefillah. They blow the shofar. What happens? Yeshua then says to them, I want you to scream because God has given the city to you. And then he adds in, It is going to be and everything it belongs to God. The only thing that you have to leave is don't touch anything. Not anyone and not anything that's connected to Rachav inside her house. Because she was loyal to us and she hid the angels. And so in turn, we will be loyal to her. Why is the city Chayrem? So Rashi says, because it's Shabbos. And Shabbos is Kodesh, because Shabbos is Kodesh. That which was taken on Shabbos is therefore holy as well, and it should be sanctified as well. It's not clear from the Mepharshim as to whether it is God's desire that the city should be Chayrem, or whether this is Yoshua taking an audible on his own and suggesting that this is what would be the case. I thought that perhaps you could even say that it's not just that Shabbos is Kodesh and, and, and Yericho is Kodesh and the stuff is Kodesh, but perhaps you could make the argument that because it's Shabbos, <coughs> it's permissible to do what you have to do for war, but taking the things from the city would require carrying, and that would not be something that's permitted uh, permissible on Shabbos. The Rabag is a fascinating answer. He says that this was a miracle, Yericho. And when people find things that are related to miracles, they assume and they give it special significance. This is not just something, but ah, this is a piece that was taken from the holy battle site of Yericho where God did this amazing miracle. They begin to believe that it has to do with mazel. God doesn't want it to be people to believe that the rechush of Yericho will ha- give them luck. How does it work? We, the rest of the nations, they talk about their weapons and their all their things and all, whether it's their weapons or their lucky charms or whatever it is. All right, imagine... The, uh, the baseball team that wins a game in the playoffs because they were wearing a jersey, they have to wear the same jersey for the next game. You know, clean the jersey. There's the karma that's all there. Says the Rabbaka doesn't work that way. We call out to God. God is the reason why we won. We have to come back to this idea of Chayrim just a little bit. Let's continue with Pasuk. You have to be careful. Don't take anything from the chayrim. Because if you are to take from it, then you're going to destroy, you're going to ruin the whole thing. Rashi says, It's like water. If you, when the water, when you, when you uh, hit the water, all of a sudden it becomes bubbly, it loses its clarity. And then he says, but anything that's silver, that's gold, 
Nechoshet and Barzel, bronze and copper. That is sanctified. The God who goes to the Otsar Hashem. Why? Barbanel points out it's very simple. See, certain things you could destroy. I could kill a person. I can kill an animal. I could burn clothing. If, if you burn the metal, nothing's going to happen. It's going to still be there. So then people will take it. So the only way to do that is make it Cherem Hashem. The people call out, they blow the shofar. And when people heard the kala shofar, they let out a scream. The walls of Yericho fell down. And then the people come pouring in. Did the whole wall fall down except for Rachav's house? The only part of the wall, but not clear. Not clear at all. But enough of the wall fell down that Yericho's magic formula of having this impenetrable wall was gone. And they come right in and they kill the entire city about to do it that year. to kill everyone. Man, woman, child, and young and old. Everyone is killed by sword. And then he turns to the two spies and the Anashim, and he says, You go save Racha. Now, if you if you read Pasakhaf with me and you were careful, you realize, wait a second, there's a problem. First of all, it seems like they're screaming and blowing shofar two times. We were only told one time. And it seems like first the nation called out, and then they blew the shofar. The two answers. First one is given by the Das Mikra. He says like this. He says, That really what we're getting is the Klaalamase. It's giving us the overview. This is what's going to happen. But the second part of the passage, that goes into details. So he says, that makes sense. You get around all the problems. Barbanel, beautiful answer. He says the first thing, that go, that's going on here, when the people are making this noise, he says, After the Jewish people saw that the city was theirs, there was a whooping, there was a, a, a cheering, a yelling. And then they blow shofar. Just to make noise, it's simcha. This was not the battle cry that the troops were supposed to do or the shofar blowing that is supposedly the long one. That's the second part. You hear the kolo shofar, the one that they're supposed to, and then they, they, they make the noise one more time. And that is when they, when they win. At this point in time, one has to be cognizant of the fact that the number seven seems to take a very large place in the story. Seven Kohanim with seven Shofrot for seven days. Seven times they go around the city of Yericho. And on the seventh day, they go seven times. Why seven? The truth is, what are the sevens do we know? So we know that the menorah and the base of Migdash, seven branches, 
Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, or seven days. Yes, I know that Shemini Atzeres is after that. We count the Omer for seven weeks. Shabbos is the end of the week, which is the seventh day. Seven years. What do all of these sevens have to do with each other? So I want to share with you an idea by Rabbi Michael Hatton that I think is unbelievable. It's absolutely amazing. So what's the deal with seven? He says in all of the above cases of consecration, whether of time or place, the Shabbos, holiday, or the years, the number seven defines and bound the bounds of a complete cycle. The, a complete cycle whose progression must be directed towards God. The series of the seven days of the week, the sequence of the seasons of the year, and even the septennial successions of the farmer's hoe turning over the moist earth are not meaningless repetitions, undifferentiated in their numbing sameness, but rather unique opportunities for communion with God. Why do we have sevens? Because one can kind of get the feeling of, I just go through the drudgery of life. Seven days a week, over and over and over again. But really what they are, it's an opportunity to be connected with God. I had a plumber in West Hempstead, Jerry Ford, like the president, didn't look like him at all. Jerry Ford would say to me that he hated these young guys that would come to work and say, I can't wait till the weekend. So why are you fast forwarding through life? Every day is an opportunity for something special. We're taking this one step further. It's not just that every day is a, is a day for something special, but rather every day is, some, is an opportunity for something special to connect up with God. These sevens gently but persistently declare that our short life, conditions, conditioned as they typically are by the cycles of time and space, can easily be crushed and consumed by the incessant role unless some higher purpose informs them. Why the theme of seven? Why the notion of cheirem? Because that's what we're trying to say. We're trying to say that this is not just another battle. This is something unique and something special towards God. Now, the cheirem, as the Barbinal point out, can mean one of two things. Cheirem Hashem, the gold, the silver, the copper, the bronze, or cheirim, it's nisraf, it's burnt, everything else. What exactly is going on here? So I want to hold on to that for just a moment. Because I want to take a look at what happens. They go to save Rachel. The Narim Hamiraglim, these two angels, the two spies. Now they're called Narim. There they were on Hashim, Malachim. Which one are they? The Narim Maraglim come and they take Rachav and her mother and her father and her mother and her brothers and everything she has. One of the portion point out, what about the sisters? Yes, the sisters are included in that as well. Her entire family and they take him out. They put him safely outside of Machne Yisrael. Radak points out why they're there at Sheid Gairu until they convert, and then once they return to the, to the religious tradition, 
once they become members of Jewish society, then they become full members and they are no longer mechutz l'machne Yisrael, but become part of the machne Yisrael. Rashi points out, why are they also na'arim? They're na'arim because what's a na'ar? Na'ar is someone that needs a lot of energy, someone who's young, youthful, fast. They need to be fast now. The army is pouring in. Hundreds of thousands of people are pouring in. They have to run in to make sure that they save Rachel and her family. But he says, why were they called Balailah? When they come as spies that one night in Yericho, back in Perak Bet, why are they there called Malachim? Because they came to pay Rachava Zona to the house of Rachav the prostitute. Rashi's words. And Shamru Atzmam Minaveira. He had to be angels to be in the house of the world's most famous prostitute of the time, not to do anything wrong at all. Malachim Na'arim. In their respective places, they are called what they are. What's the juxtaposition of Rachav to the Cherem? This is an absolutely amazing answer that's given by Rabbi Michael Haddon. This is why Cherem. There is a danger from both the Jewish people's perspective and from an outsider's perspective. This battle is horrible. Reading the Psukim is tough. They kill men and women, old and young. Sounds terrible. They're doing it. Why? Because God said so. It's part of the mitzvah of settling the land. Make the land ours. Hopefully, their goal was to, to do it once and for all. Unfortunately, it doesn't work out. By do, making everything cheirem Hashem, the declaration that they're making is we're doing this for God. We're not doing this for personal gain. No one should think that the reason why we're doing this is for looting and plunder at the time and to this very day are the pillars of warfare. At this very first battle against the Canaan, Yoshua pronounces clearly to everyone, you may not take anything. Again, it's not just a declaration that God is the one who's making all this happen. And God is the battle to the victor. Go the spoils and God is the victory. It's a spoils. It's for them. So that they could hear and hear that we're not doing this to kill randomly and cruelly. This is a necessary step to get to the point where we live safely in the land of Israel. This is Hatton. That's why it's connected to Rach. You think? Think that the Jews wanted to kill people? Halavai, if everybody embraced them the way Rachav did story would have had a completely different ending. The Jews wouldn't have had to kill everybody. But because no one was interested, it was just them, so they left with no choice. And so, they burned the city down, and everything that was in it, just the precious metals couldn't be burned, were brought to the Otsar Beit Hashem. Her family, they lived, they were kept alive, they stayed amongst the Jewish people. Perhaps you could say that this is the Mirashic source. Yoshua gives her life by what? Marrying her, having children through her. 
כחביאת המלאכים ששלח יהושע לרגל יריחו כשיצייב ויהושע And when he concludes building it, he puts the door, and that means that the house is done, the city is done, his youngest will die. God was with Yoshua, and he was, everybody heard about him throughout the entire land. Why the Shvua? Rabbi Alex Israel suggests that the answer is, you want for years, and years and years and years, the people will come and see the destruction of Yericho, And they're going to ask, what happened? And point at Yericho and say, what is this? And you're going to tell them what it is and how that affects them and how God is always there for us. And by telling them that, you know what's going to happen? It's going to have them believe in how amazing God is. I want to end. With three pictures. The, the big picture on the left is a picture of the remaining wall that is in Tel Yericho. Now, the reason I gave you the second picture is because when you look at the first picture, it looks deep, but you don't necessarily have a sense of how deep it is until you look at the steps and you get a perspective on how big the wall is. That piece of wall there. is about 20 feet to there, maybe even more, and it goes much, much further. In fact, even though there's a big sign that says, do not cross the, the barrier and don't go down there, our tour guide told us we could definitely go down there. And I started going down there, and I was at the edge of the very first step. Um, this is uh, trivia about me. I am terrified of heights. I looked down and said, I, I can't do this. I was terrified for my life. Um, and I, I felt good because my friend that went with me felt the same way. Now, all those people that went down there, young, 18 to 20-year-olds, no, no kids, no wives. I, on the other hand, my friend, old guys with families, did not want, God forbid, to, uh, to fall in there and be part of the, uh, another victim of the city of Yericho. But there is the possibility that piece of wall is actually right next to what they believe is the city gate. and. In theory, there is a very large possibility that this is the house of Rachel in the wall itself. Now, on the other side of that fence over there, there is a break. There is obviously, they didn't do excavations there, so there is much more below it. And on the other side, there is another wall. And that would be the double wall of Yericho that we've been speaking about for the entire time. I'll just end with the top picture. You look at that by the blue arrow. There is slight discoloration in the, um, in the shade of the, the sand there. They, they found burning, burnt marks over there. Um, and they actually, when they were digging, they found burnt wheat that dates back to the times of Yoshua. And so perhaps you are looking at a piece of the burnt wall of the city of Yericho as our Psukim tell us. Have a wonderful week. 
And in Yerza Hashem, we will be back next week with Tarek